This episode is brought to you by Move, Meditate, Sleep, your all-in-one platform to help you move more freely, meditate more easily, and sleep more soundly, with new content added every week. If you'd like to try a free seven-day trial, click the link in the show notes. End up welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> I thought we'd finished the interview before we came on camera. <laughs> we got we got chatting. <laughs> we got chatting. Yeah, I said run the other time. Anyway, yeah. tell us. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Thank you very I, much. I really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Um, I got in touch with you after speaking to Jen, who was on here. Did, Jen yeah. Healy. Yeah. And Jen <laughs> doesn't take no for an answer, <laughs> <laughs> as you've already found out. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. great. She's yeah. powerful. Powerful. Yeah. Um, and then I was looking at some of your work mm-hmm. online in mm-hmm. your book, mm-hmm. uh, The Five Steps to Happiness. Mm. And one thing that massively resonates with me, and I don't mean to make this all about me, but mm-hmm. but it spoke to me, was uh, the, the, the topic of ADHD. Right. How would you know, or how, what, what would be, I don't know if symptoms is the right word, but the signs mm. of someone who has... Uh, ADHD? Uh, There's signs of adult ADHD and it's, you know, and from a personal experience, try not to steer as to which particular disorder you have. But if you feel that you're in some way different to everybody else, and for some reason they're able to read certain situations, and you have the social skills of a goat, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the way I knew, all right? And the pro- as I always say, the problem was never the fact that I have ADHD. The problem was always the fact of feeling that I'm different and in some way I'm less. So you're talking to a guy who struggled through school, absolutely struggled through school. I had the attention span of a, of a mayfly, you know, of a goldfish. But yet everybody thought I should be thinking like them. And because of this, they wanted to see this through, you know, they wanted to see things through their own understanding. Now, you know, we're two guys standing here. But the way I normally describe it, all right, is I want you to imagine you're either the only man in an all-women's world or you're the only woman in an all-male world. Right. And because we've had that, you know, and we're back in Victorian England. And we're going to try and understand women through a man's eyes. Mm-hmm. Now, there's only one thing wrong with women. They're not men. And there's only one thing wrong with men. They're not women. We are completely and utterly wired completely different. Believe it or not, the, you know, the, 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 the corpus callosum in the female is much greater, it's a much greater size. If we both died, and you could only do an autopsy on our brains, and you have a female brain and a male brain, would you be able to tell the difference between both? And yes, you would. Absolutely, no problem. Because the corpus callosum in the female is much greater, which allows women to be able to use both parts of their brain at the same time. Whereas a guy has to either use this side or that side, this side or that side. And that's why we are biologically designed to do different things, all right? But if you go back to Victorian England, and I'm now going to try and understand women through a man's eyes, then, of course, because they deal with emotions differently and they kind of are obviously kind of much more upset than I am, 
they're a woman and I'm a man. So it obviously has to do with something that a woman has that I don't have. So it's obviously to do with her uterus. So I will say she's hysterical because hysteria and hysterium is the Latin word for uterus. Mm. Now, if you're growing up in that kind of environment, then the only thing a woman is going to learn is that there's something wrong with her. She's never going to learn how to be a woman. And similarly, if you were a guy living in an all-female world where everybody thinks you should think and act like them, then the only thing you will learn is that there's something wrong with you for being the way you are. Now, what was wrong with me? Sod all. But because I was very, very different, I was not able to... I was not able to perform to the expected standard. All right? And where I would have really struggled was, especially in classrooms, I remember being slapped my first day in school. That's my only memory of school. I went in, I saw a sand pit in Dominican Convent on the Navan Road, and I went straight for it. <laughs> and as you do, as a boy would do. <laughs> the nun came out, and she nearly had a Mickey fit. She nearly threw nuts. And I remember the first day going in and being brought into the class, all right, and having the hand slapped off me. My, I hadn't even started school, and I was slapped. And from then on, all right, it was all downhill. That was the highlight of my school life. Mm. Because what happened was, was that schools, as they are traditionally done, were designed in the 17th century. And we had just brought people from countrysides. We had brought them in to towns we had created factories the industrial revolution and now we had loads of children in one place so what did we want we wanted to train them to be able to sit behind a desk in a factory and work and of course if they can read and write that's a bonus so what we did was we created school rooms that were designed like factories so we bring the children in we sit them all down and we trained them how to sit for eight, ten hours a day. All right. Now, if you look, all right, at an aeroplane a hundred years ago, and an aeroplane now, there's no, there's no similarity. If you look at a car a hundred years ago and a car now, there's no similarity. If you look at a classroom a hundred years ago and a classroom now, they're still very much identical because the very paradigm, the very understanding of how we educate, is still the exact same. And it was based on a flawed philosophy then, all right? But most kids are able to, it might suck the life out of them, but most kids are somewhat able to function in that. Somebody with ADHD can't. Because we don't concentrate on one thing at a time. If you don't know if you have ADHD or what your history is, all right? but let's just say for the sake of argument, you're neurotypical. Right. Your brain works like a car horse. So you operate and you will do one thing and then you'll do another thing and then you'll do another thing and do another thing. I have the brain of a racehorse. So I will concentrate on half a dozen things at the same time. And I can't concentrate on one thing at the same time. I'm always concentrating. So I'm, you know, a man who can multitask, all right? But our brains are always working that way. Now, if you try and take that brain and put it into a classroom which it doesn't isn't designed for. So you put a racehorse into the traipses of a of a cart, and then he doesn't perform. Then why do you say that is? And to this day, it's still the exact same because the the difference between ADHD and most other 
kind of conditions like autism and everything like that, all right, is that ours is completely socially unacceptable. It's completely socially unacceptable. Because I can't sit still in a, cl- in a school. But if I don't sit still, it's seen that I'm being bold. And you're being deviant. And you're doing something wrong. And then everybody, instead of everybody sitting back and thinking, now what we have to go back to the drawing board here. They will make certain allowances for us, but they won't make that many allowances for you because you're disturbing the equilibrium of what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And once you disturb the equilibrium, you're the one who's wrong. And it's not just with ADHD, it's in everything. We don't celebrate differences in, in what people do. So you put a child in, all right, they're not able to function. The teacher's getting more and more wound up. So what do they do? Once he pulls this way, they pull that way. All right? And everything, all the wheels come off the cart. And when they don't fix the problem, then what they do is they say, well, he's obviously not being, uh, he's obviously not being sanctioned enough. So what we do is we go in and we say, okay, well, what I will do is, is I will take your phone away, okay, and you will automatically figure what it is you're supposed to do. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. Had absolutely <laughs> no understanding. One of the things they say about us is that we can't read social cues or we don't understand. The reality is, is we understand your world an awful lot better than you do. What we don't know how to do is we don't know how to interact with it. So let's just say you come along. And he says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your phone away. All right. So let's just say it's a teenager. All right. And I tried to tell parents, I says, okay, what is the learning for the teenager in that? So the learning for the teenager is, is that to learn a new skill, I take away your phone. So when he goes to college, which hopefully he will, and he now goes out on the Raz with the lads on a Thursday night and he doesn't go into college on Friday morning, how does he correct his behaviour? Ah, he gives his PlayStation and his phone to his best friend and he says, now don't give those back to me until I've learned my lesson." Because that's what he's learned to do. That's mm. how you correct behaviour. So you're telling the child they're bold. You're telling them they're, they're wrong. You're telling them that if they were good, they'd be behaving like everybody else. They're punished. All right. The leather strap has gone. The leather strap went with us about, I must have been about, I was about third, about third year when the leather strap went. As in it left schools. No, leather straps, as in beating the yeah, shit out of yeah. as, in, as, in, as in, you say, it left, as in people stopped using it. Oh, yeah, stopped using it, yeah. Okay. Like, I would have been... By the time I went to school... Now, I had a good experience. I went to Christian Brothers up there in Glasnevin. And I went to Junior Infants up in Glasnevin. Hmm. Now, you know, like kind of uh, the neck. <laughs> Brother Cahill still has a reputation, and this is 40 years later, of what the guy was like. All right, I don't have any memory of him, but the memory of the brother that taught us was safety, security. He was a lovely man, and I have only warm memories of being in that school. There was another fellow in third class <laughs> who was next door, and by God, he used to have one of these straps. He didn't have the ordinary one. He had the he had deluxe the one, version. Yeah, he had the <laughs> deluxe version. And like we were only in, I would have been probably first class. All right, yeah, it would have been first class. All right. And of course, if our brother was missing, all right, you know, kids would be there ta, 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 chatting away and he'd come in and suddenly he'd hit that door with an unmerciful wallop, all right, with the thing. And I remember literally wetting myself one day. Mm. All right, now, 
what are you going to learn if you're wetting yourself because you're so afraid? So now we've taken away the leather stock because she's in, oh, that doesn't look too great. But the philosophy behind the leather strap is still exactly the same today. It's still the same. It hasn't changed. So if you don't do what we want you to do, we've changed the language now, all right, because we've gone politically correct. So we say, we'll sanction you. All right. What's a sanction? Or there has to be consequences, all right? And if you look at how the consequences are delivered, is that if the child is misbehaving here, then we have the consequences immediately. What's the child going to learn? What's the purposes of the consequences? And how does it teach it? So the consequences are, is that we'll teach you we're the bigger dog. And we'll just keep beating you around the head for long enough until eventually you learn what it is we want you to learn. And I'll sometimes ask parents, and I'll ask teachers and everything like that, and I'll say, well, how are you teaching it? And there's this idea that because they're neurotypical, they automatically assume that you can do a certain task. All right? So you can do a certain task, and you can do a certain task, and you can do a certain task. So they don't take into account that I'm completely wired differently. And go back to the analogy of the girl, the woman living in an all-male world. Right? Why don't you like football? Do you understand? Why don't you like football? Sure, it's normal to like football. Why aren't you watching the Euros? And if you know of no interest in the Euros, well, you've no interest in this. You know, you're choosing not to like football. So the only thing I learned in life before I was about 26, 27, was that I was an asshole. That you were an asshole. That I was an asshole. That's it. That's the only thing life taught me. And if you look at everything that actually happened, that was the only conclusion I could come to. And by the time I get to see children now, that's all they've learned. Because everybody focuses on what's wrong with them. Nobody focuses on what's right with them. Now, there used to be a program years ago called uh, Incredible Years. And it was a lovely expression. It was, instead of trying to catch your kids doing wrong, will you just catch them doing right? See, for long periods of time, I was doing what it was that was expected of me. All right? But both the world and I was just waiting for me to screw it up again. And we now know, all right, what the effect of it is. We call it the invalidation environment. So what happens is, is that the child is never learning how to deal with distressing emotions. All right? So if you sanction a child whilst they're, say, a a baby, you've got young kids, all right, when they're having a tantrum. It's just, well, if you don't stop crying, all right, I'm going to take away your toys or I'm going to put you on time out or something like Time out is solitary confinement. It's a form of torture that's used by the CIA. Full stop. All right? <laughs> just, yeah. And you're going to put a child in. But what you're doing is, is that by using these consequences, what you're actually teaching the child is that you're going to punish them for having feelings. And you do it to a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old who has no concept. So all they know is that they're the type of person who gets punished, you know. So, you know, we have to use evidence. We have to use, just sit back and understand, what is it that we're trying to do? And how is it we're doing it? And 90% of the problems that children are having with ADHD has nothing to do with ADHD. It has all to do with how the environment is interacting with them. Because by the time they get to see me, they've been beaten into a corner. All right. 
and we won't go into the details of, of how serious that can actually be, all right? But, you know, sometimes it can get very serious. And parents are beaten into the corner, right? Because parents realise, they can see what's, the, what's been done and what's going on is wrong, but there's nothing they can do about it. The system is just too strong. So what you have to do is you have to teach the, the child, because nobody's teaching them how to interact with the world they are in, all right? That the world they're in with the tools they have. Right. For instance, here's one for you. So they did a research project, all right, and they, they checked out uh, Olympic gold medal winners over the last 30 years. And they found that 70 to 80% of them are all autistic. Wow. <laughs> really? And if not autistic, you might be coming up to the bar where you say you're autistic, but they're definitely neuroatypical. All right. And Elon Musk did it about three weeks ago. He went on Saturday Night Live and he said, listen, by the way, I have Asperger's, mm -hmm. all right? And uh, he says, I'm on the spectrum. And when people said they were surprised, he says, hang on a second, Sister Sunshine. I'm the first person to put a man in space, all right? And I've <laughs> reinvented and the electric car. He says, what the hell did you think I was? Right. <laughs> Not normal. Yeah, exactly. So, you, so when we're dealing with, you know, how do you know you have ADHD? I can guarantee you that if there's any adults listening here or anybody who your audience is, you know you have ADHD because you believe you're an asshole because life has just taught you an asshole. And that's the first warning sign you need to know. And I would not go on and start trying to teach you the other symptoms until I've knocked that. Mm. Now, as part of your journey in understanding that you're no bigger of an asshole than myself, all right, and understanding the world around you, you will notice that you have certain characteristics, all right? And those certain characteristics, you'll realise, yes, I am different. But let's go back to the analogy of so you being a woman in an all-male world. You'll realise that, yeah, I am wired very differently. But it also gives me a, an awful a real edge. So you start seeing things, not as being that I'm an asshole, but that you have certain skills that other people don't have. When I I came out of the closet, so to speak, all right, and the first time in Ireland, I did an interview. I do a regular talk show on, on News Talk. Mm. And I had realised, I had found out that, that October was ADHD month. So I went to Ashley and I said, listen, October is ADHD month. I says, I'm happy to talk about my own ADHD. This is the opportunity I'd never arrived for that. I says, would you be interested? And she says, yeah, it definitely would be. You know? So Mark Hagney did the interview, you know. And we were there sitting talking about ADHD, all right, and all the characteristics of ADHD, you know. And in the course of the interview, all right, we were talking about, because we were talking here about cameras and everything like that, and Damien Purcell is the, my director, all right. And uh, Damien has been incredibly successful at his own, in his own field. And he has ADHD as well, mm. all right. And I've been incredibly successful, but I started becoming very successful at what I did once I knew who I was, all right? But it changed the whole paradigm. It changed the whole idea. But anyway, in the course of the interview, I happened to say that, you know, like kind of putting two ADHDs into a room together, all right, and then letting them brainstorm. I says, we've come up with the maddest ideas that you ever <laughs> thought about in your life, all right? But I said, you know, if you want to be really creative, you have to be like that, all right? And it turned around that the CEO of a very, very large multinational company was listening in on the interview. 
And they have been at a meeting that day trying to understand uh, where we need to be in the next 20 years in the industry we're in. Mm. All right. And because there's so many changes and they thought that's what we need to do. So what they did was they made contact with me and I had a chat with them. All right. And what we're doing is, is that we're getting this come big multinational Ireland, England, Europe to actively recruit as many people with ADHD as they can within their industry. Go out and look for them, find them. You're going to find them easy enough, all right? And get them all into a room, okay? And get them talking about their industry, but with real ADHD style, because we have incredibly creative war ideas, incredibly creative, all right? And get them all into a room and get them talking about where they think they should be. And you'll go up to 38,000 feet. You know, it'll be bad. Total nuts. Neurotypical people will think this is completely off the rails. Yes, it will be. But gradually, as you start talking, you'll start coming down to earth slightly. And when you get to about 12,000 feet where you reach the oxygen level, <laughs> then you bring in the bean counters to say which of these ideas would actually work. But you can't brainstorm until you go to, 88, until you go to the 38,000 feet. Mm. So what you have to do is you have to allow that creativity go. And if you bring in neurotypical people at that stage, it'll destroy it. All right. So what they have done is, is they've got all their ADHDs going to put them all in a room and say, right, lads, where do we need to be in 20 years' time? Where's the opportunities, all right? And it's going to be a very interesting experiment. So instead of you just being the, you know, the total cultural diversity or we need to make sure we have so many women or we have so many this or so many that, they'll actively go out and start recruiting people with ADHD for specific reasons, you know? Mm -hmm. Go out to the College of Art and Design. You'll find that half the people that are there are either ADHD or autistic. All right, because that's one of the other skills we have. We're incredibly artistic. Now, I'm not. I don't particularly have that one, but I am able to see things from a very different angle that most people are able to see. Mm. You know. So, to answer your question, we can move on. Don't look to try and find out whether you have ADHD. All right. If you feel that everybody's normal except you, and for some reason you can't <laughs> understand what's going on around you, or for some reason you don't know, then you're neuroatypical at some stage, okay? There is something there. The problem isn't who you are. The problem is that some gobshite has put the word disorder at the end of the sentence. Mm. And now they're saying that you have a disorder because you're not like me. And if you look at that, you think, well, where do you get the idea of disorder? Well, we've come up with a, an average person. <laughs> okay, could you tell me where an average person is, all right? Point them out. And I talk at medical conferences around the world, all right? That's my job. And I says, whoever it is that, like, Kevin, if you come to me and I'm going to teach you how to be normal here now, Kevin, all right? So if I'm going to teach you how to be normal, I have to have a normal role model that I can teach you to be like. So whoever it is that can, is volunteering to be my normal role model, can they actually put up their hand and stand up so we can examine you and I can teach you to be like them? 20 years later, I'm still waiting for somebody to stand up because it doesn't exist. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm conscious that when I do eventually send mm -hmm. our daughter, our kids mm -hmm. to school, mm -hmm. uh, it's a big decision which school to send them to. Yeah. Like when, I when I went to school, yeah. primary school, that is, and nursery, um, it was the same school. It was the nearest school, right? Mm -hmm. But the school was... Um, was uh, closely tied to the church mm -hmm. and the, the, uh, my teacher for 
six years uh, in primary school, she lived on my road. And she, when you know when you go to church and someone's at the top mm-hmm. and they're holding the Eucharist or the wine, mm-hmm. she did, did that job. Mm-hmm. She was kind of high up. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also my, uh, my, my teacher. And she used to uh, beat me with a um, wooden meter stick. Mm-hmm. And this is like 1986. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like mm-hmm. re- yeah. reasonably re- uh, uh, recent. Uh, and she used to beat me, and so and then she would uh, put sellotape on my mouth and turn me to face the corner because um, I would talk so much. But I remember at the time I kind of liked it because not in a sadistic way, but I liked it because I like. <laughs> 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 I've gone too deep. This is wrong, wrong meeting. Yeah, <laughs> but I liked it because it, in a way because it kind of gave me a bit more attention. It, so it actually reinforced yeah. my thing to act up a little bit. Um, but th- this tied into the fact that I think it was a religious school and it was like you have to behave a certain way and uh, you need to um, stay in line essentially. Um, so I can, this is this is why I'm, what I'm thinking about is when we send our kid or kids, mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, to, to school, how do we... Choose the school. Yeah. Okay, very easily. For starters, let me explain to you your behaviour when you were that age. They took a rat, okay? Now, remember, we're mammals. Yeah. Right? So what rats do, <laughs> we do, okay? Sometimes I explain, you know, like, for, for those of I'm on the spectrum myself, all right, is that we're cats in a dog's world, okay? <laughs> Nothing wrong with cats, but we do look at dogs wondering, why the hell are you chasing that bloody stuff? <laughs> What's the purpose of that, all right? But to explain your behavior, you said, you know, you'd sometimes do that behavior just to get the attention. Now, they took a rat, and they put him in a cage. And at the top of the cage, there's a little lever. And he goes up and knocks the lever. And he gets a little bit of food. And very rapidly, he associates levers with food. So what happens is, is that he says, ah, levers of food. So they take him out and they put him in the second cage. And the second cage now has two tunnels with two levers. And the first lever, he goes up and he taps off the lever. And he gets a little mild electric shock. Just a little nine volt or just enough to give him a bit of a jolt. All right, but no food. So he comes out and he sees the second lever and he says, oh, let's do that. And he goes up and he taps the other lever and the other lever does nothing. So he gets no reaction at all. So he's going to end up going back because he'd been conditioned to associate levers with food. And he's going to keep tapping one of those two levers. Which lever do you think he keeps tapping? The one that gives him some sensation. Exactly, yeah. So better a bad reaction than no reaction Mm. at all. Mm. Now... If you weren't, if you were associating that humans and adults should be caring and should protect me, all right? And if you weren't getting the positive interactions, you'd go for the negative ones. Because better a bad reaction than no reaction at all. Mm-hmm. Now, bring the fast forward, that still happens. So you have to ask when I'm asked to see children. All right? And this is the killer comment you give people. And the comment is, they say, well, you know, Johnny's doing this and Johnny's doing that and Johnny's doing the other. And he's and doing that. And he says, well, what brought you to see me today? And you'll find that there was some crisis a couple of days previous. And I says, okay, well, before we go there, can you tell me the last time he behaved the way you didn't want to behave. Well, he did it last Tuesday. And says, okay. And when was the time before that? Well, it was another incident three or four weeks beforehand. 
All right, okay. So there was an incident three or four weeks before, and there's an incident three days. Could you tell me what was happening between that incident and this incident? Oh, well, nothing was happening. He was behaving very well. I says, okay, so how did you interact with them? And you'll find that everybody has ignored that. They did the same with me. I didn't know that between the crises, I was behaving in a way that everybody wanted me to behave. Because I was just waiting, I was conditioned to just wait for the next screw-up to happen. <laughs> and then the killer comment is, when the child is acting up, what are they trying to say that's not being listened to, that they're having to go to such extremes in order to be heard? What are they trying to say? That's not being listened to, that they're having to go to such extremes in order to be heard. Mm. Now, all right, if you're sussing out a school, there's only one criteria I'll give you for the school. I want you to meet the principal and I want your wife because unfortunately women have it and we don't and that is an, an a gut sixth sense, a gut instinct. Dismiss a woman's instinct at your peril. They have it, we don't. We don't have it, I don't. Yeah, we do, we think we do, right? but we don't have it. But a woman's instinct will tell her if something is right or wrong, okay? It won't, it probably won't explain to her what's wrong or what's right, but it will give her a simple zero one, a simple yes, no answer, all mm. right? And that instinct will never be wrong, all right? So I would have female friends that if I want, okay, a bit unsure about something, I'll ring them up and I'll say, now, I just want your good instinct and I'll just fire it at them, all right? And they might know nothing about what it is I'm talking about, but they'll give you, nah, something not right there. <laughs> And if it is, I can guarantee you, dismiss that instinct at your peril. Mm. All right? <laughs> now, multiply that by a hundred and you've got a mum's instinct. Mm. So what you do is you meet the principal and I've only got one question. Does she love children as they are? And if she loves children as they are, she can swing those kids from the rafters. They will love her and they'll come back for more. If she doesn't love children as they are, and she's a bureaucrat, or he's a bureaucrat, all right, then they can be profe as professional as they want, but they will still damage the kids under their care. Mm -hmm. So ask yourself, does the principal, and if it, the principal loves children as they are, that filters down to the teachers. But if you don't have it at the top, it doesn't filter down. So it doesn't matter because they say, oh, should you go to an old boys school or an old girls school or an boys school, whatever it is. Go around and suss out the environment they're actually in. Now, mm. I, you know, would know Colin O'Rourke very well. You know Colin O'Rourke from? That rings a bell. Yeah, he's, he's the GAA guy, all right? And you'd see him on RTE regularly right. as a pundit. He's right? a yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, pundit, yeah. And I hope he's listening to this right, at some stage. But he's also the principal of the classical school in Navan. All right. Mm. And it's a big boys' school, about 600 pupils, all right? Now, I run training programmes up there. Now, Colin gets away with murder up there with the kids. Everybody knows him. He gets away with murder, all right? But you know when he's interacting with the kids, they all love him because they know he loves them as they are. He doesn't make any demands that they are, but he brings out the best in every kid. And because he's like that, it filters down through all the teachers. It mm. does. They're all like that. It's the whole ethos of the kid is, who are you? And you know, you know, and how are we going to make you the best who you are? 
And of course, we're going to get you on the GAA team. We're going to get you on this. We're going to get you on that. Mm -hmm. All right. But the kids are respected and loved and accepted as they are. And it's very obvious when you go into the school, you see the kids, the, the boys from first year to sixth year, and you see them walking with an air of confidence in themselves. Do you understand? Mm. An acceptance of themselves. All right. And it's really palpable as it is. Mm. So that's the answer I would give you. Does the teacher, does the principal love children? Does she understand and love children as they are? Or does she have an idea? Are they an idea? I'm being sexist here. All right. Or do they have an idea that the child should be this way and should be this way and should be this way and should be this way? And if they're, they have an idea that we, this is the way we want our children to be, <laughs> don't go near it. Mm. All right. Because I remember, you know, one of my favorite teachers, okay, and I was in first year, okay, in the school I went to, I won't embarrass them, but we used to call them lollipops, all right? Lollipops. Do you not know what a lollipop is? I don't know. Do you know? No. A lollipop was a form of torture. Right? Oh, God. Where you get caught with a jaw and you get lifted up by the jaw like oh, this. Yeah. And you get shook by the jaw. Mm. And a lollipop special was where you get caught by the ear or the lock of the with hair was even. Yeah, with a <laughs> twist on the thing. All right. Now, lollipops was our English teacher. All right. And we loved the bones of him. And lollipops was part of the culture of the class. Mm. And if you saw him coming down to give you a lollipop, everybody thoroughly enjoyed it, all right? And by God, you scarbered. But he loved us as we felt very loved by him. And that's why I mean, you could swing him from, he could have swung us from the rafters. And we still thrived in his class because it was all part of the crack. It was irreverent, it was that, you know? But this is the, this is the thing, and what you said there make, yeah. makes sense to me because mm. this lady mm. who's she I won't say her name, but she um, when I was leaving and yeah. I was ten, yeah, uh, she was saying goodbye to everyone, and then I went up to her to say goodbye, and she started crying, yeah, and she said, "I'm really gonna miss you." Yeah. Uh, and she's yeah. like, and I remember once she went to hit me, and I moved my hand, and the stick broke on the table, and it yeah. kind of turn into a bit of a spike and I like yeah. stuck my ass out like stick up you know saying like stick up my ass basically <laughs> and she started laughing you know yeah so although like she hit me yeah uh, it, there was a bond between us that sounds weird but did uh, she love you I think she was think, doing it because yeah. thing is that's all she knew really and and yeah. I never resented it for her for it um yeah. and in fact when when she passed away I was really I was really yeah. sad that I never yeah. got to say goodbye to mm -hmm. her um so it's almost like I tell the, the first part of that story and it yeah. sounds like a tragedy. Yeah. But, but in fact, um, I didn't resent her for it. I understood yeah. that she was a woman of that era and she didn't know how she wasn't equipped. Well, that was just the, but see, you have to understand around that era. All right. That was the way things were done. Yeah. You know, like it's a very diff. You know, you know the retrospectroscope is a wonderful implement where we look back and think, "Oh, that shouldn't be the way it is." I can guarantee you, in thirty years' time, people are going to look back at how we treat children now and are going to be as horrified about what we do about children's mental health and everything as we are about the Christian Brothers thirty, forty years ago. Mm. Yes, there was bad apples, but there was a lot of good apples there. But we now have changed the, the way we're viewing it. Now, if you felt loved and accepted by that teacher, now marry it in that she's a teacher with 30 pupils in the class. 
She can't give everybody individual attention. But if you're craving for her attention and you're not getting it the, the nice way, what are you going to do? You're going to be like the rat and you're going to go after and say, well, let's stick my arse up when you... understand, <laughs> All right. And if you were all doing that, she obviously saw something in you that she loved. Mm-hmm. And if you felt warm and respected, all right, if you are loved by the person, all right, you'd be amazed at what you can get through, all right? If you're not loved and if they're very, very professional and bureaucratic and this is the way we do this and we checkbox this and we actually have this, you know, we have this graph and we have, and they bring in the kind of all the research and academia, you know, like kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ideology is the luxury of those who don't have to come up with a solution to the mess. So like you can come up mm-hmm. with all this academia, but it doesn't work, all right? Give me a way of doing it, all right? Like <laughs> Brendan Behan was a, brilliant one he said I he said about critics but you know we'll change we'll 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 mash it around a bit and we'll say academics are like a eunuch in a harem (laughs) right they know how it's done they see it done every day but they're fuck all used to doing it themselves (laughs) now if you look at the way that most theories are developed who's developing them they're being developed are they being developed by people on the ground or are they being developed by people who are not on the ground and they're being developed by people who are not on the ground, you know. So, like, you know, you'll find children, you know, they will be, you know, they'll be creating mayhem in certain environments. And then you'll say, well, tell us about the other environments they're in. They says, well, they're great, you know. They're fantastic. And the, 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 the argument that's given, which, of course, doesn't make sense, if the argument that's given is that they say, oh, well, there's not, obviously not the same challenges on them in this, all right, as there is in our environment. And it says, yeah, but the child is reacting the way you're teaching them to react in your environment, you know? And that's evidence, do you understand? Like, mm-hmm. and there's three qualifications, there's three, you're a professional and I'm a professional. There's three things that define, all right, a professional. One is non-malevolence. Above all, do no harm. Two is reflective practice. You're constantly looking at what it is you're doing and the results you're getting. And third is evidence-based practice. So everything you're doing has some evidence base to it. All right? And you'll find that an awful lot of phrenological, phrenology-type behavioural things that are done with children, all right, are not are not evidence based. They're not reflective, and they're causing the problem that you're trying to uh, create. Mm-hmm. So we will cause the problem. We'll throw petrol on the flame, and then we'll blame you for having the problem. All right, mm-hmm. and you will find that. All right, and people will come on. Oh, you know, like kind of uh, if there isn't consequences for the child. All right, I says, well, what consequences do you want? Now, consequences for me. Is that I can't change, like, <laughs> I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan in your day, all right, Scotty? Mm-hmm. But I was a big Trekkie fan, I still am, all right? <laughs> but I didn't really get into the later ones. But anyway, by up to kind of Star Trek, it was kind of, when Scotty would ring up and he said, Captain, I can't change the laws of science for you. Yeah. All right, now, I can't change the laws of science, all right? If you keep doing X and you keep getting result Y, well, you know, what is it they say that, the definition of madness is 
of insanity is constantly doing the same thing, expecting a different result. You're going to keep getting the same result. So, you know, people say, well, should we take the phone off him? I says, well, is he misbehaving? With, is he misusing the phone? And uh, No. I says, well, why would you take the phone off him? All right. So unless, you know, so like kind of, you have to, it has to be natural consequences. That if you keep hitting your hand with a hammer, mm. <laughs> you're going to break your bones. Mm. All right. But that's a natural consequence. So, you know, if you are talking about the child, all right, and the child is, you know, misbehaving in a certain way, all right, well, you know, usually you have to change and it says, well, you know, who's teaching them how to take that authority? Mm. Because you're giving them the authority of the PlayStation. Let's use the PlayStation. And then you're trying to rape, rope, rope it in when they don't show that they're able to hold them the, the, the maturity that... The, concept, the, the authority for it. Mm. So you have an authority and accountability for it. And I says, who's teaching them how to do this? Because you're putting them unrestricted in amongst some of the most incredibly astute behavioural psychologists, all right, who know exactly how children learn, all right? Mm -hmm. Because another thing with ADHD, all right, is they say, oh, you know, like, he, he's not concentrating. I says, all right, so... Does he play a PlayStation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's he play? Fortnite. Okay. How long if you left him would he play Fortnite? Oh, he'd spend 15 hours a day. Right. And is he any good? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's brilliant at it. So he has demonstrated he is able to learn. So if he's able to learn, mm. then maybe we have to look at how it is we're teaching him. So if you want to make your method of teaching work, work because with ADHD, we are incredibly visual that's why most people with ADHD you'll see them with the mad hair the multiple <laughs> earrings or the multiple tattoos yeah. right they all end up in Dunleary College of Art and Design alright yeah. you know because that's where they go that's you know okay you talk about your feelings people with ADHD we don't talk about our feelings like I, I've as I said to you I have the social skills of a goat okay and for a psychotherapist alright you think I'd be good <laughs> about talking about feelings I'm not Okay, how I deal with my feelings as I write, that's what I've done. I made a career out of writing, okay, and I write for a number of journals, all right. But most people with ADHD, they will manifest their feelings in different ways. And you'll find that all these top artists and everything like that have all ADHD or some other form of neuroatypicalness, all right. And what we've learned is, is that, you know, and this was a real eye opener for me the gay community about, uh, 10 years ago, decided that they were going to stop asking for permission to be themselves. Permission from people who are never going to accept them as they were. So they just says, we're going to set up our own, do you understand, our own community. And you'll find that with most gay people, they will interact with the neurotypical, with the, the heterosexual community, but they have their own community and they stay there. All right? You know? Now, they stopped asking for permission to be themselves. And about five years ago, the autistic community started doing the same. They says, why am I asking you for permission to be who I am? All right. There's another, do you understand? There's mm -hmm. another theory that autism, everybody's saying that, oh, it's because of this and because of that and we've had multiple things. There's an actual theory starting to evolve at the moment that it's actually an evolutionary thing. That we're yeah. evolving autistic traits. 
Because when you look at people who haven't been diagnosed, all right, if you're diagnosed, you're screwed, all right, because the world just doesn't have normalise you. You're a disorder, all right. But if you're not diagnosed, you become the Elon Musks. You become Olympic athletes. Mm. Do you understand? You go into any university in Ireland and you'll find that probably about 60% of the academics are on the spectrum, all right, especially the ones in the STEM subjects, all right. But they probably have never been diagnosed and who would want to be diagnosed? But you'll find that some of the, the, that they have this competitive edge to get them to the tops of their fields. Mm. And that's evolution. We're evolving this. Now, you heard it here first, you know, and it'll be another 10 <laughs> years or 20 years before you hear it again, all right? But you have to lose this word disorder, all right? Yeah. I'm very successful at what I do, all right? Damien was very successful at what I do. I have backers in the see me little plug for my own program or <laughs> cme.ie who are all neuroatypical yeah all right who have all been incredibly successful at what they did and every single one of us can safely say that i could never have got where i got only that i had adhd I want, I, I'm, I'm leaving this conversation wanting to have ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's I'm, like, I'm not gay, I don't have yeah. ADHD, I want, to fit into, I want something to, to... Well, let's turn it back on you then, all right? Tell us about when you were actually in the school with the, the young one, or with the, the nun. Why was she on your back for? For messing with the other kids, trying to do impressions of people and... Why were you doing that? Um, because I couldn't concentrate on what was on the board and I even basic things like how I get my D's and my B's mixed up okay. until I was quite old fine, actually. Fine. Um, so you probably... So I thought I want a distraction from this and right. it makes yeah. me feel good to yeah. make people laugh. Fine, so you have the concentration, you have, you mix your B's and your D's so you probably have dyslexia kind of thing, all right? So you have some form of <laughs> disorder underneath it all. Yes. And why did you... <laughs> Sorry. But what was the attraction about learning about ADHD? What's the when, attraction? Yeah, but you've got a million people you could interview. Why interview me? Because when I was then growing up, um, I was told I was thick quite a lot. Um, yeah. And even in the workplace, people would say, you know, you're thick. It's just yeah. to, like yeah. straight up. Um, Think it's too short planks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but they say, but you've got the gift of the gab or you um, yeah. are, are good at like getting things going. And So I would kind of then define myself as, all right, I'm not, I'm not bright, um, and I don't read. I'm not a great reader. Uh, I find okay. it hard to concentrate. Yeah. I'll read a bit of one chapter, go right. to another chapter, okay. that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, so, what does that sound to you like? <laughs> I know, exactly. So it's like it's. I know we we shouldn't um, label things, but sometimes it can be handy to categorize in your mind. Right. What what could these behaviors? Uh, how can I live my life and make the most of these characters? Of course it is, yeah. Because I, 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 like, I was saying to Rach, my partner Rach, um, she was just saying to me last night, she goes, if I think of something, I'll just start it. And without even really like thinking about the the possible outcomes, I just I have a sort of load of things going at once. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, I don't, um, I, I can't sit down and do one thing. And yeah, I spend I mean, all my childhood, I spent hours and hours and hours playing uh, computer games, just, mm. just non-stop, mm. just repeat, mm. repeat, repeat. Mm -hmm. I used to get blisters on my thumbs. Mm -hmm. And uh, YouTube, I watch hours and hours of YouTube, mm. but I find it hard to read. And I just, I think I have a, a hang-up about mm -hmm. 
the whole thick thing, you know, you're dumb, you're you thick, do, whatever. yeah, because that's what you were taught. So you did, you know, but what you've done is you've done the exact same as I've done. You've learned to take your characteristics. So, you know, as I say to parents when they say, "Should we talk to him about you know having been neurotypical?" and I said, "It's all on the sales pitch. How are you going to present this to him?" Now, if kids are coming to me, all right. I won't turn around and say, by the way, you have ADHD, or sit down with the real drawn and say, no, I need to have a serious talk with you kind of thing, right? I help them understand who they are, understand the superpowers that they actually have, all right? Understand what they can do that other people can't, and I think, <laughs> that's quite good, all right? So it's, it's a bit like selling it like a Marvel X-Man, <laughs> all right? Mm. It's a sales pitch. That's good. And when you actually start seeing that, and then they start asking, well, it says, in what way am I different? Then I send them down the rabbit hole, but I do it in a way that I get send them on to TED Talks, Ed Student. So TED Ed, you know TED Talks, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah? TED Ed, which is educational TED Talks. Mm. And then you have educator and student. And if you go down TED Ed Student, you will find hundreds of videos from students describing their own neuroatypical. Half of them will either have ADHD, half of them will be on the spectrum. Because, believe it or not, most of us, okay, who have ADHD are also on the spectrum at some stage, all right? Two are kind of synonymous with each other. But what you're reading is, is you're reading or you're, you're watching people presenting TED interviews to massive audiences talking about their characteristics. And there isn't a word of disorder in it. Mm -hmm. These are role models. So now, as you said, right, you think, God, yeah, you know, maybe I like being part of that actual group. <laughs> yeah. The rest is all fairly straightforward after that. Now, yeah. that's the first step is learning who you are. So stop trying to be neurotypical. All right. You're in a world that at the very best may make some allowances for you, but will never accept you as you are. OK, you're too different. All right. But you need to understand how their world works. And how to engage with it. Now, if you meet people for the first time, what do you like doing small talk? Not good. Good, yeah. You, you're like I me. go too deep. Of course you do. I, I say things like, are you scared of yeah. death or something? And yeah. I've just met the person. I can't say, oh, lovely weather we're having today. And believe it or not, do you know why that actually is? Because social chit-chat is how neurotypical people establish pecking order. How are you, Kevin? Where are you from? Oh, you're from Glass Evan. All right. I mean, what do you work at? So I'm trying to establish where you fit in compared to me. Mm. All right. Are you up there? Are you down there? And how are you going to accept me? An expression, you know, like kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, we used to be from Montanotti in Cork was, Montanotti is a very posh area in Cork. Right? <laughs> and it says, the lady from Montanotti doesn't say, help, help, my son is drowning. The lady from Montanotti says, help, help, my son. The doctor is drowning. <laughs> <laughs> so social chit-chat, believe it or not, okay, is a form of establishing social hierarchies. And it is what humans do. Like dogs go around sniffing each other's bones, all right? <laughs> That's what neurotypical people do. I need to figure out where I fit in with this. Now, those of us who are neuroatypical, we don't do social hierarchies. You are who you are. So if I sit down and I start talking to you, I can talk to you for hours and you can talk to me for hours about a topic. 
But we're like a cat. We don't do this social hierarchy thing. You are who you are. I either like you or I don't. Right? And if I don't <laughs> like you, well, good luck, good luck. I'm gone, all right? But the social hierarchies. Now, they neurotypical community calls that the social kind of skills. What they don't realise is there's a massive problem in those social skills that you're describing as to what you're trying to do. All right? But then you accuse us that because we don't do it, we can see you doing it, but we don't understand why you're doing it. Okay? And we all have our party piece, you know. We all have about three or four things I can say and then, <laughs> what am I going to say after this? All right? You know? I used to have a neighbour one time who was gas, you know. Like, if you get into an airplane, I can guarantee you at least one of the pilots on the spectrum. All right? Guarantee you. All right? But I had a neighbour one time, all right, and he was a 777 pilot with the big airline. And now, I have... Christmas time, he'd bring over all the pilots over, all right? And you'd have the 747 pilots sitting in this corner, and you'd have the 777 pilots sitting in this corner. And of course, I'm a bit of an old airplane buff. I'd sit there listening to them all, right? But you realised that the vast majority of these senior pilots were all autistic, all right? Because as long as they were sitting in an airplane, the cockpit of an airplane, they had no problems whatsoever. Bring them out and put them in a social environment, don't they? Same social skills level as myself, mm -hmm. right? They just don't do it. So you don't do social chit-chat. You're grand on a one-to-one. -one. But you bring neurotypical people in, and they'll socially chit-chat, but you try and get them on a one-to-one -one where they have to expose themselves. And because they're afraid of what you'll think of them, they're very, very cautious. Oh, you're being very intrusive there. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? No, I'm not. I'm just interested in you. I'm just interested in you in a very different way. Mm. But if you've got children who are growing up with this, they're in a system that as soon as somebody starts talking about, oh, we have to do all these assessments and now we have to do all this and we have to do all that, you know? Whoa, hang on a second, come back here a minute. Why don't we just get to know the child he is? Mm -hmm. All right? And it's the same with your children. Yeah. So look at the school and do they love children as they are? Mm -hmm. And if they love children being who they are, I remember my, uh, Miss Sloan was a, uh, the, she was the junior and senior infant teacher in in my eldest guy's school, all right? And we'd be out as parents, all right? And we'd be out as parents on the road waiting for the kids to come out after school, all right? And Miss Sloan's class was the one right at the back of the school, all right? And during the summer, the windows would be open, all right? And you'd hear her roaring at the kids. Now, she'd be roaring at them, all right? But they'd all arrive out, hanging out of her and holding her hands and thoroughly enjoying it. And she thoroughly enjoying them. Mm -hmm. All right. And I can safely say that by her interactions with my son for those first two years, because she had both junior and senior, it was only a small school, was that gave him the grounding of understanding the person he was and that he was acceptable as he was. All right. Yeah. You know, so. Are you a joy to Well, you're as much a joy to live with as I am, all right? Is there things wrong with you? Of course there is. Mm. But the problem isn't you. The problem is what you think normal is. It doesn't exist. Mm. That's, that's, that is a yeah. massive takeaway for me. Yeah. Um, I'm about to go down a mass... I know today a big ADHD <laughs> rabbit hole on YouTube. Attitude. A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E. Attitude is, is a web, it's a website written by ADHD people for people with ADHD. And start by looking up funny signs that you've ADHD. Okay. Right? 
your partner asks for your cup of tea and you go and make a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. You know, like, the, the, so they invited people to, ring, to write in, mm. how did you know you had ADHD? Okay. Mm. And those other things, like, you know, you buy another... Uh, personal organiser to organise your last five personal organisers yeah. or before phone times okay you'd have a half a dozen half read books on your nightstand mm. that you're all reading at the same time mm. and I'd be the same I won't watch if I go onto Netflix I was watching Sharp because I like old history mm. military history and I had uh, The Irishman the, the, the Robert De Niro film mm. And I'm watching both. I'd watch 20 minutes of this and then I'd go on to 20 minutes of that and then 20 minutes of this, 20 minutes of that, then 20 minutes of TikTok, 20 minutes of this and 20 minutes of that and then back up watching. Mm -hmm. And people would say, oh, you're being distracted. No, I'm just doing five things at once. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, there is a downside to that because, you know, they will say by constantly being distracted, you're not engaging with any particular one subject. But for us, when I see a subject that I am interested in or is useful to me, I'll engage with it for hours and hours and hours until I finish. Oh, I figured out. And then I've gone on to something else. Mm. So I think maybe a little visit down the rabbit hole. Would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ender, that was so so good. Thank you so oh, much. Um, I know you're on Instagram, but you don't. You're not that that active. So if people want to find you. See me. Is see me. Dot I E. Yeah. Now you have to. Jen, believe it or not, volunteered at one stage to sort out. She was saying, "I'll teach you how to or understand Instagram." All right. Unfortunately, I am of the generation. That's like, I'm like a pig looking into a spaceship. Right? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't fully understand it. I just don't. It's a bit like social chit chat. Yeah. I can understand how important it is. All right. But I don't, I don't grasp it. I don't live it the way you would. You would grow up with computers. Like when I was a kid, all right, we had Space Invaders. So I remember Space Invaders first coming out. I yeah. remember the game actually coming out in arcades. All right. So, I'm the last generation. I think that's, what does that make me? Generation X, does it? I don't know. No, I'm not a, not a boomer. No, I'm not a boomer. No, I'm definitely, gener I think I'm Generation X, all right? I'm the last generation before the computer mm -hmm. industry, the computer whisket. So I don't quite understand it, all right? I have people around me who do, all right? Yeah. But if anybody wants any further information, the conversation you want your child to have with me is the conversation they're trying to have with you. So what we do is we run training programs for parents. Mm. Don't bring your child off to see somebody like me. Come yourself, learn how to understand what they're communicating to you. And it's not rocket science. If you can train a 20-year-old to be a therapist, you can train a parent how to understand the child. And that's what we do. And hopefully we have our own YouTube whenever I get Damon, typical ADHD. He got distracted about three months ago. <laughs> and I got a meeting hopefully this week. We will get on. Hopefully we'll get you on someday talking about being a dad. All right. Oh, and fabulous. your journey. All right. And we'll get you down to loud. Hopefully we'll get up in the thing. But when we get back out of lockdown, we run training programs for parents. So we run six-week programs for parents in how to understand and engage with their kids as they will listen. That's what we do. So thanks for the plug. Thank you, Enda. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Move, Meditate, Sleep. Your all-in-one platform to help you move more freely, meditate more easily, and sleep more soundly, with new content added every week. If you'd like to try a free seven-day trial, click the link in the show notes.